Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, worship team. And welcome to each and every one of you. So very, very glad you are here. So nice to have some of the relatives, Sister Lydia's relatives, Sister Lori's relatives with us, and uh, Claudia and her mother all the way from Jamaica. Nice to have her mother with us. And she wanted, Claudia wanted to point out to me, she says, my mother's Pentecostal. I would expect nothing less from Jamaica. Amen. But we are so glad. And, and uh, Donna, so nice to have you back with us. And can I, do you mind me sharing with the church that uh, Donna's husband, Vic, passed away? But you know, the, 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 really the... The really powerful thing about that is it. Donna said uh, when we first started uh, knowing one another, when she started coming, she says, you know, my, my husband really wants to come to church and meet you and be here. And he came. He came. But Donna, our hearts are with you. Amen. And... Um, Praise God. That's why we pray one for another. That's why we're here to support one another. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. And uh, everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Probably did not get enough to eat, but oh well. Go visit somebody and they probably have some leftovers for you. Hallelujah. All right. We're going to call your attention. Attention to Psalm 137. And uh, we're going to end Ezra 3, 10 through 13. This is uh, for you that follow football. This is a message that was changed at the line of scrimmage, you might say. And uh, so we pray and we hope that we got it together here. Hallelujah. Amen. Psalm 137, verses 1 and 2. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. Then uh, Ezra, chapter number 3 10 through 13. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, 
they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good. Because he is good. And his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. You know who that foundation was today, right? Amen. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people for the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. Amen. And I want to speak to you this morning on this thought. Weep, wait, or shout. Weep, wait, or shout. I'm going to ask you if you would, if you'd lift your hearts to the Lord, and if you are a guest here first time this morning, amen, we believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. We believe that the presence of the Lord is here, and He ministers to you, both through the moving of the Holy Ghost and the preaching, the teaching of the Word of God. And so we pray that this message here today will be an encouragement to you, that it will help you as we wait for the soon appearing of we believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Would you lift your heart one more time and would you help us pray? Most Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to be here today. We thank you, Lord, for every precious soul every precious soul that is here, Lord, that you have assembled here this morning. We give you the glory already, Lord, for the presence that we have felt here and your teaching that has already come forth. We ask you once again, God, that you would touch our hearts, Lord, and draw us ever closer to you because we need you in this day and this hour, Lord. We promise we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to ask brother whoever is operating the equipment back there if they would bring up the photo that I sent. This is a photo of, I think her name's Amelia. I just found it this morning. They had several that have come out in the last couple of days, but this is a photo, I think she's nine years old. She has been held captive. She has been held hostage for a period of about 50 days. Hello? This is her being reunited with her family. How many of you have a nine-year-old? How many of you have a 10-year-old? How many of us have children. 
and you're witnessing tears of joy. You see, what a, what a contrast. Their wait is over. But there has been, during this period of time, during this waiting time, there has been a period of tears. Are you with me this morning? Those tears of sorrow have now been changed to tears of joy. But there are still tears of sorrow from the hearts of families still waiting, still waiting for their loved ones, for their children to come back and be reunited with their families. But what this does here those families that are still waiting, still praying, still weeping, this gives them hope. This gives them hope. Seeing that this child has been reunited with their family gives them hope that their prayers, that their tears, that their sorrow, that their pleading, that it's going to produce this, this same thing. Gives them hope. You and I are here today. We live in America. I want you to imagine just for a moment this morning. I want you to imagine just for a moment. That is your child. Imagine that was to take place in your family. And I, as this message was coming to me here this morning, I thought, oh, I wonder this morning in this assembly if there would be a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter that could get the jest, the meaning, the, 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 the depth of this message right here that is produced through this photo. I, I wonder if there's a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter that you are so grateful, that you are so thankful that your family, that your sons, that your mothers and your fathers and your daughters, that they are here with you this morning that you might stand up right now in the front of everybody and that you would just lift your heart to the Lord for just a moment. Come on, I'm challenging you that you would say, oh God, thank you. How about us sons and daughters? How about us sons and daughters? Are you thankful that your mother and your father are here this morning in the house of God? If you're not, you got no clue. But one day you will. When you have sons and daughters, you will get that photo right there. You will understand. But you see, listen to the words of Psalm 83, 1 through 4, and 
I'm not going to get all, this is not a message of prophecy per se here or end times this morning, but I want you just to, to get a hold of the hour and, and the day, the urgency of where we're at today and how this all just comes together. Listen to the words of the writer of Psalm 83, 1 through 4. He's pleading. He says, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. And do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies, God, your enemies, make trouble. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and have consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, listen carefully, they have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. That's some old, that is an old psalm coming from the book. But oh, how relevant that it still remains true so very much in the hour that you and I live. They're not fighting. They're, they're the enemies of Israel, okay, the enemies of the church, they're fighting against God. They're fighting against good. They're not fighting against you and I, but they are. They may not understand the significance of what is going on in the world, but they are fighting. They are lifting their hand against the Almighty God, the one who made a covenant with Israel. And because of their covenant, you and I are graced under this great dispensation of the blood atonement of the perfect Lamb of God that covers and washes away our sin. We are a byproduct of the nation of Israel. Don't kid yourself. Psalm 137, 1 through 4, by the rivers of Babylon. Israel has been taken hostage into Babylon because of their unfaithfulness to God. Babylon was a place of broad rivers and streams. The captive sought the riverside where the flow of the water seemed to be in sympathy with their tears. Everything reminded Israel of her banishment from the holy city. Her servitude beneath the shadow of the temple of Baal that left them with a feeling of helplessness. You see, the, ba the palace of Babylon covered an area, the palace alone covered an area of eight miles. This is Babylon. This is the head of gold. This is the one that Daniel saw in his dream that there was never going to be another like the kingdom of Babylon whom Nebuchadnezzar was the head of it. There never will be another kingdom like that. Everything else will be diminished. Everything. And they were 
they were just overcome. They were overcome with a helplessness of where they used to be. They used to be in Jerusalem. They used to be in a place where the temple of their God stood for so many years. And it was such a magnificent structure that the entire world was in awe of it and how glorious it was. And they were used to the idea that their most famous king, David, who was indeed a worshiper, that he had laid in order for the worship of the temple as many as 2,000 choir members, let alone the few thousand of musicians that were constantly in that temple. They were always lifting their voices and strumming their hearts in worship to God. These people were used to three times a year of going to Jerusalem and making that journey and meeting by the tens of thousands as they would go to Jerusalem. And there they would worship together and they would have camp meetings. And it was a glorious time in their history. Nothing compared. Nothing compared. They had been warned multiple times through multiple preachers that there was going to come a time if they did not turn back to God that they were going to get in trouble again. I don't want to be in trouble. How about you? And they, they had come to this place, a place called Babylon. There they sought one another's company by the flowing streams. There is something about, there's something about, uh, ooh, I don't know what is it, the flowing of water out in the open. It just kind of soothes you, doesn't it? You ever been there? How many of you love just being out there on, in the mountains and something about that, that creek or that stream or even the Columbia River. I kind of like that water. So they would come together. They, were, they would come together. And, and uh, there it was that as they would sit down and they would begin to once again, the only thing that they could see was that there was the temple of Baal that was, uh, they say, uh, probably eight stories high. And all they could see was this magnificent eight miles worth of palace of a heathen king. And all they could think about was, Oh God, I miss the times that we could come together and that we could worship and that we could feel your presence. And they missed it so much. And all they could do was reminisce about what they used to have. Church, don't ever get there. It's why that we 
so vehemently encourage you that we must attend the house of God. We've got to be here, even if you don't want to be here. Be here for my sake, will you? Be here so that you can encourage somebody. So there it was. Israel Israel is a worship. They are worshipful people. To this day, they worship. You can go and you can search and you will find even in their groups of uh, military, the people that are out there on the front lines, you will see them on their Sabbath, that they will be gathered around and they will be, uh, they will be worshiping God and they will be studying the Scriptures. Yes, they do. It's what they do. Because they still are looking for the one that's already came. They had entered into a very dark place which they had allowed the circumstances of life to take away their joy and their gratitude that really is the expression of our worship. Listen to me. There is something about the idea that when you are worshiping God, something tells me that you may not feel like it. You may be living in a storm of life, but there's something that is within you that says, but I'm still thankful, Lord. I want you to know that I still love you and I still believe that you are on the throne and that you have everything under control and you've got my life in your hands, Lord. See, what they failed to recognize, and I don't know if this was written before this particular psalm or not, but listen, listen carefully. While they were in this very dark place, where they, because they had, they had hung their, their worship, they had hung it up, They'd given up on God per se. They had lost their joy. They had lost their worship. They had lost their dance. They had lost their leap of joy. And all the while, God had already spoke to them. Jeremiah 29 and 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives to the priests, to the prophets, to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. And here's what he writes. He said, This is to those whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. He said, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat the fruit of them. But Lord, hello, did you know we are pilgrims on a journey? Did you know that this is not our home? 
Did you know that sometimes you're going to look out that front door and there all you are going to see is the glitter and the, the, the dark places that, that the world try to promote uh, in, to getting you to a place where you, we no longer, uh, we no longer uh, worship God with joy and with gratitude. And uh, Jeremiah wrote to him and he said, hey, build houses, live in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. He said, take wives. I would recommend just one. And have sons and have daughters. And encourage your sons and your daughters to have wives and husbands. That they might bear sons. So you can become grandparents. That's not in there, but there you are. That they might bear sons, that you may be increased and not diminished. The word of God has already spoke to them while they were in this place of temporary residence. God's got a plan. He said, listen, you don't hang your harp up. You don't put your worship on hold. He said, you live for me. You pick up that harp and you begin to play and you begin to love life and you begin to be an encourager. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives. Listen carefully. And pray unto the Lord for it. Oh, come on. Well, what, what, do you, what do you profess to be your city? Is it Kennewick? Is it Pasco? Is it the Richland? Is it Tri-City? Is it West Richland? Is it Prosser? What, what, is it, what is your city? Are you, are we praying for our city? He said, you need to pray for your city. Why? He said this. He says, for in the peace thereof shall you find peace. In other words, he's saying, listen, folks, I'm carrying I'm going to carry this over into the modern now and then. All right, right now, you because when you're how many of you want to live on the let's say the east side of Chicago? I'm not sure if that's the rough place, but I hear it's probably not a very good. You need to pray, pray for your city, pray for your neighborhood. Why? Because that is, if your neighbors are in peace, you're going to be in peace. But if they're kicking your door in, there's not going to be a lot of peace going on. But oh, there's more. Because he goes on to tell them this. He says in verse number 10, he said, For after 70 years be accomplished in Babylon... I will visit you. I will visit you. Listen, you may be going through something this morning. Let me remind you, 
It is a temporary season in your life. God's got this for you. You keep coming to the house of God. You keep praying. You keep reading that precious Word of God. You keep worshiping Him. You pull that harp down and you begin to play a tune. You stand up and you begin to worship Him. I want you to know that it is a temporary season in your life. Not only does He say after seven years, be accomplished in Babylon, I will visit you. But he says, I will perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. He wants you and I to always be in an attitude or an altitude of worship that is expressed through a joyful heart. It is expressed through a thankful heart. It is expressed to him because, Lord, I want you to know that I am thankful for all that you have done, all that you are doing. And, Lord, I'm believing that you have a plan yet for my life and that you are going to continue to do something incredible in the lives of your people. And of course, this is a verse we always love, right? I don't know if you've, really, if we've read the entire chapter, but here, here's a verse we always love. He says, verse 11, For I know the thoughts I have toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace. But Lord, I'm in a dark place. I've got thoughts of peace toward you and not of evil. But Lord, why am I in this place? Well, maybe it's because that you are in a situation where you have forgotten how good I am and how good I have been to you and you need to pull down that place of worship in your life and you need to give me your highest praise. To give you an expected end. So instead of hanging your harp on the willow tree, living off memories of your past, take your harp, begin to worship in response to your hope in the Word of God. See, when everything else gets dark and gloomy, the adversary cannot take this away. It is forever written. Forever written. I don't know how many of you were here when Sister Lydia gave her testimony. How many of you got one of these? I, it would do all of us good to just once in a while, I know the phone and the iPad and everything's convenient, right? I use it all the time. All the time. But every once in a while, it would be good for you to break out the old printed version. Yeah, it would. And carry it with you into the house of God sometime. I remember one time that I was on a short job 
experience, the railroad, working on the, you know, the whatever they call railroad ties, digging them up and all that kind of stuff. And I was a, I was a newcomer. I packed brown bag lunch, put my Bible in my lunch, right? And I'll never forget, <laughs> during lunchtime came, and somehow my brown bag got messed up with another brown bag. He, that man opened that thing. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> True story. Yeah. Because they cannot take this away. It is forever and ever and ever a book of hope. It is a book of truth, a book of light. It is God's expressed word, his love message, his hope message to each and every one of us. Needless to say, they were released. Some of them went back to Jerusalem. Did you know not all of them went though? In fact, very few, a small percentage of them went back when it came time to rebuild. Not too many of them went back because they had been, they had taken, you know, they had taken their, their life in Babylon to an extreme. They had built houses that they were not willing to sacrifice and go back and do the work of God. They had, been, they had gotten a hold of the good life. And they said, you know, you go. I say this, some of you would understand. I had a, I had a, just Kathleen and I, when we sold the old building on Barth and we began to look for, we actually, we had property, but we couldn't get anybody to finance putting this sanctuary up. For two years, we were without a home and uh, we had to go from here to here to here. And uh, I remember, you know, a couple of, people leaving and this this is not the words they said but this is what they meant hey call me when it's done okay call me when it's up and running all right that's the reality when it comes to serving God that's reality when it comes to working for God Everybody believes it, but nobody believes that the responsibility is here. We all want to have a part in worship, but sometimes we're not willing to make the sacrifice in order to have the place of worship. Thank you for making this a possibility of a place not only of worship for you. This is a place of worship for our community, for everybody that wants to come and find and build a relationship with God. We believe in the message on those banners. We believe that we can encounter God's presence, experience the new birth.
find our purpose in Christ, grow in grace. We believe that. That's why we're here. So they go back, about 42,000 of them ultimately, in the beginning. They go back to ruins and they begin to build in the face of all the animosity and all the, you know, the soothsayers around them and the, the people that tell them they can't do anything and they're laughing them at them and everything and they begin to build. They, you know the story. They build the altar. It takes them forever, but finally they get the foundation of the second temple laid. They get the foundation built. And the people that had been working, per se. Those that were there, they were a part of what was going on. The Bible says when they put, they put them worshipers, they put the praise singers, they put the musicians in order, just like they would if they were all still in Jerusalem. You see, God don't matter what the building that you are standing on as you lift your heart to Him in worship. All He's concerned about is that you are standing on the foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and His blood atonement being the most important thing in the foundation of your life. He doesn't care if you're standing on a mud bank out in the middle of nowhere. As long as you're standing on that foundation, He says, I hear you. I'm going to accept your worship. But we know the story. The ancient men that were there, they seen the former house of glory in their mind. And they said, man, this is nothing. This ain't nothing. Y'all, you, you, you haven't even scratched the surface of what we did. Listen, young people, get on fire for God. Show this generation what you got inside of you. Show, the, show these ancient people that what you got in your heart is going to so surpass anything that we could ever dream about. Get a hold of it. Run with it. But all they could do is look at their past and say, man, I remember when this was this way and that. Come on, forget it. Make your present count but so that tomorrow, so that your future you can talk about that yesterday was only one day behind me. And I want you to know that, oh, did I have a, an experience with God yesterday. And I'm going to carry it right over to today. The old men wept and the young men shouted. Hey, yeah. And the world, the world couldn't discern whether they were on fire or they were in a dark place. They, could, they couldn't figure out what in the world the church was all about, man. They say, what in the world are you guys 
We, we, we don't understand. Are you, are you here to worship or are you here to weep over your past? I hope you're with me this morning. So instead of hanging your harp on the willow tree, living off memories of your past, why not take your harp and begin to worship in response to your hope in the Word of God? As you stand with us, I'm going to close with this story. It's found in 2 Samuel 9 and 1. David said, is there any that is left of the house of Saul? Is there any left? Because you see, David had made a covenant with Jonathan. He made a covenant with Jonathan. He, Saul wasn't, you know, was after David, but Jonathan... Oh, buddy, they were, they, they were good friends. They were like brothers. And they made a covenant. David, finally, he was the king. And he says, is there any left of the house of Saul? They said, yeah. Ziba, there's a man named Ziba, and he's been taking care of Jonathan's son. Jonathan's got a son that's alive. Says, well, go, go get Zeba. Let's have a chat. And he, they go and get Zeba. And he says, well, who, who is his son? He says, his name is Mephibosheth. And he's lame on his feet. You see, Mephibosheth, when he found out that his dad Saul and his dad Jonathan were both killed on the battlefield together side by side, that the news came to Jonathan's house, the prince's house, and the nurse that was taking care of Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. They said, you got you to get, get Mephibosheth out of here. You got to get him out of here because, you, you know, there's, a, there's a, a war going on. And so the Bible says that she, she picked him up in a hurry and on her way out the door, she apparently tripped and fell and she dropped this little five-year-old boy and he was probably broke both of his legs. He was lame the rest of his life, rest of his life. I know what it's like to be dropped as a youngster. Giant. I know what it's been what it's like to be dropped as a, an 11-year-old boy that has no Christian background and and it, living on welfare. I know what it's like, Sister Lydia and, and your relatives and Sister uh, 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 Nadia and the rest of you. Thank you for sharing your testimony. But you understand, I know what it's like to be dropped on my head as a little 11-year-old boy and losing my father. He passed away and left my mother with seven kids on welfare with nothing, no hope whatsoever. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be dropped. And get into a very dark place. See, that's a problem with some. They don't know what that feels like. So you can't relate to that photo. You can't relate to this story. And uh, David says, well, uh, where is he? 
And they said, he's, he's in a place called Lodabar. Search it out. Lodabar is a very dark place. David says, the king. The king says, go fetch him. Go fetch him. Mephibosheth, we don't know how, doesn't give his age, but he's been there for a very long time. He's given up. He's been used to living in the prince's palace as a young boy. He's, he was used to having the, the niceties of being, having your grandfather as king. He'd been left. No family around him, nobody. He's, he's given up. One day, an entourage of the king, of King David, he shows up at the doors of Lodabar and he says, hey, open up. We're here to fetch Mephibosheth. But why would you want Mephibosheth? He's lame. He's no good for nothing. We stick him over there in the corner and he, he can't come out and play with the rest of the kids. He's just there. Who wants him? They said, the king wants him. Why would the king want somebody like that? Because I made a covenant. They brought Mephibosheth in and David met him. Mephibosheth fell at the, the feet of David and he says, I'm a dog, what do you want with me? David says, I want you, I want you to know I'm going to restore all the land that of your father saw. And he says, I want you to know that you are going to to feast at my table, the king's table, for the rest of your life. Well, you can't do that. You can't. Brother Austin, you, you, you got no right. Who, who wants you? Who wants you? Who's, who wants you? Mr. Smith, who wants you? They took Mephibosheth. The Bible says for the rest of his life he ate at the king's table. He supped on the king's dinner plates. He ate in royalty. I want you to know this morning that there was somebody that came knocking on my door one day. And I says, what do you want? He says, We'd, the king's got a message for you, son. He wants you. He has bidden me to come and to invite you to a place where he, you can be in his presence and eat with him the rest of your life. No way. Yahweh. Yahweh. handicapped and an orphan. Go fetch him anyway. Weep. How many days, Mephibosheth? I don't know. Wait. How long do I got to wait? I don't know. I want you to know there was some rejoicing going on. Prodigal son, why would you turn away? 
Somebody, we were talking at men's breakfast, I think, the other day, and somebody says, I don't understand how somebody could leave. <laughs> how they could leave. Nevertheless, prodigal son left. I think there were some tears that went on. During that waiting period, I think there was some praying going on. But I want you to know that the day came when the, when the father looked out on the fields and he seen that prodigal son coming back to him. And, and I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that that father, he didn't stop and wait for the son to run to him. The Bible says that that father, he took off. He ran, he ran toward, he ran to where that boy was and he put nothing but the best on him. And he said, you're still my son and I love you and I'm going to take care of you. We're going to open the front here. We're going to ask you, if you're here this morning, you have a need in your life. If you've been praying, if you've been waiting, you've been weeping over a particular thing, I want you to know that, that the Lord has heard you. He does hear you. And maybe I'm not, I don't know when the waiting part of God's plan is over for you. But I do know one thing, that you cannot go wrong by coming to the altar and you lifting your heart to the Lord and you begin to thank Him for what He has been doing, even though you can't see it. The Lord, I can't see it, but I know He's working. I can't see it, but I know He's working. I'm in a waiting period and I don't expect, I don't understand why he doesn't answer my prayer like right now. I don't either, but one of these days the wait is going to be over and you're going to be able to rejoice because of what he has done for your life. Would you come? Would you come? There's a time to weep. There's a time of waiting and then there is a time when we begin to worship Him and we rejoice because we at least have in our hearts the hope, the hope, the hope that is written. That's it. We invite our guests this morning. Come on, don't, 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 don't be bashful. Come and join us. We'll make room for you. It's a... It's still Thanksgiving weekend. What a, better, what a better time, what a prime time, right? To be able to come and, and just thank the Lord for what He's done already. Thank Him for what He's doing. There you go. Come on, young people. If you're here this morning, you're a young person. And